welcome to the audiobook speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. Tonight's speakeasy chat is being brought to you by Squeaky Cheese Productions on the Cutting Wedge. You can find them on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight has been here before. Back in episode 14, we spoke about his theater background and move into audiobooks, about his fantastic second opinion software program, which if you're a narrator or do post-production on audiobooks, you should really get a copy of, and how he founded Listen to a Book, which later became Spoken Realms, which will be the main focus of tonight's chat. Stephen J. Cohen, welcome back to the Speakeasy. Hi, Rich. How are you tonight? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Tired, but good. Yeah. You know, tired, <laughs> tired in a good way. That's good. Whenever you're yeah. tired in a good way, I, I view that as a good thing. I, I uh, always feel that way when I get out and I do some yard work and clear some brush, and then I see it's nice and clean out there, and I get inside, and I think, now I just need to fall down, but it feels yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. And I think I'm probably one drink ahead of you tonight. <laughs> you may be, you may be. Speaking of which, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, a vanilla porter, of all things. So it seems to me that you must be a beer fan then, because or uh, beer, ale, all of those things, because uh, in our first episode, you were also drinking yeah. a, a local microbrew. Right. So I, I'm surrounded by uh, microbreweries. And... Um, so I, I I tend to just see what's interesting, and and then jump there. It's not it's not as much. Uh, I love this thing as as there's an incredible variety of it around me. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were having this discussion ten years ago, everything would have been mead. Oh no, kidding! I was surrounded by mead makers. How funny! That's a, that's an interesting one. I've had mead before, but it's boy, it's been years. I can't even remember the last time. And and I'm the same way. I, I like to try new and interesting stuff. So whenever yeah. I'm I'm not surrounded by distilleries. There's only one here in Tucson <laughs> that I really think highly of, but right. I am surrounded by a total wine store. So whenever I go there, I'm, I'm always it. looking for something totally different. So uh, yeah. So so it's um, a what what kind of a porter did you say it is? It's a it's a vanilla porter. Oh, vanilla. All right. Yeah, and the vanilla in the porter almost gives it a bit more of a of 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 a um of a stout flavor, but not the weight of the stout. If that makes sense. Mm. Uh, it kind of makes sense. Not being too much of a beer drinker, and yeah. I haven't had stout in years, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that that kind of makes sense. I know that uh, yeah. the I, I like the way you put that. The weight, I would think it more of the density. But <laughs> same right. idea, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. And uh, and who's the uh, who's the maker? Who's the brewer? Uh, that that's that that's Berkshire Brewery because I am in I am in the Berkshires. Berkshire Brewery. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. if I ever make it out that way, I will look them up. Um, in the meantime, tonight, I am not surprisingly not having a vanilla porter. Uh, I've, I'm going way back in time. I'm having an old fashioned, which is something I have not had in a long, long time, but, uh, pretty much just a classic cocktail, water, sugar, bitters, mm-hmm. spirit. Well, the next time I see you in, which will probably be like, like APAC or maybe the business thing in New York, Good guess. if if you're getting if you're getting an old fashioned, then I'll, I'll have a gimlet when you have the old fashioned. Ah, uh, one of my favorites. 
Yeah. So, so do you prefer gin gimlets or vodka? Uh, I prefer whichever one the uh, the bartender likes to make more because I I find that whichever one they prefer they mix better. Uh, I think that's very true. I always listen to my bartender. Um, they they usually have good advice on the uh, the things that the selections that they have available. Yeah. Exactly. So, exactly. Uh, so I, uh, I, vodka gimlet was my drink of choice way back in my twenties. And, uh, I, I still have vodka gimlets, not all that frequently, but, uh, I used to make them with roses, lime juice. Cause I thought that was mm-hmm. a gimlet. And what I've since learned is it's much better with fresh lime juice. And then you can put as much sugar or as little sugar yeah. as you want. Right. So. You know, it was, um, I was listening to a full cast, um, Raymond Chandler, uh, uh, piece. And it, it's in one of those, it's in one of those stories where the detective is talking with this guy and, and they're drinking gimlets yeah. and, and they go through the whole roses, lime juice discussion <laughs> in there. And it was honestly that, that audiobook, and I'd have to go in and look it up and find it. Um, but it was, it was just, it was done so well. It was a full cast piece. That it made you want a gimlet. That the very next time I had the opportunity to order a um, order a cocktail, it was a gimlet, very specifically <laughs> because of that, and that has become my default drink ever since. That's great. I, I totally yeah. understand that. So if you want something totally different, what I like is a um, what I call a Mexican gimlet. If you can get okay. some uh, jalapeno or or even <laughs> even just regular pepper infused vodka. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, but if you get chili vodka, it's so yeah, with the pepper vodka, I wouldn't, I wouldn't so much call it a Mexican gimlet, but, um, St. George distillery in Alameda, California puts mm-hmm. out a chili vodka that is delicious. And, uh, <laughs> so I use that instead of gin or regular vodka and, uh, makes a, makes a great gimlet. Sounds lovely. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, so thank you for coming back to the speakeasy to, uh, talk about what's going on with spoken realms these days. Cheers. Yep. All right. So, uh, so, you know, mo- usually for, uh, for these speakeasy chats, I, I talk to my guests about where they're from. I've already done that with you. So I would yeah, encourage yeah. anybody who is listening and who hasn't heard it to go back to episode 14 and uh, listen to that. If you want some of Steven's history, um, we're really focusing on spoken realms tonight. Uh, so why don't you give me the, the two minute elevator pitch of the history of spoken realms, just so that oh. for anybody who hasn't listened to uh, All right. that first we'll do episode, history now. Yeah. yeah so just, just so that a little context for tonight's uh, conversation. Right. So, um, I was doing some small time production of mostly public domain audiobooks on, uh, as well as narrating. And I had figured out, certain ways to optimize doing this. And um, a friend of mine here looked at what I had put together and said, I think you want to go over to these people and pitch this as a business idea for this business incubator. So just like other people would go in to pitch an app that was going to change the world, I went in pitching exactly what we were doing with spoke, with what was then listened to a book. Mm-hmm. And um, we, I got accepted into both the incubator and the accelerator competed for funding, went through the whole thing, and um, came out of there with uh, a a functional production company that is essentially completely virtual. Um, If, you know, in some ways, in some ways things feel, um, some of the production components feel a lot like what you might find if you've ever recorded or worked for Tantor. Some of them will feel 
um, on the narrator end, like 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 working for B. Actually, not feel on the narrator end like B. Feel more on the narrator end like Tantor. Um, but there was those companies still are very physical, real companies that simply do a lot of their work online. Mm -hmm. Whereas what Spoken Realms has evolved into is a completely virtual company that's utilizing more of that tech um, in order to meet, in order to make it so uh, people who are working remotely are re really are working together on projects. Um, we have two very distinct parts, and what most people are familiar with is what's now called um, the featured voices section part of the business which is um, we aren't an open platform like ACX or Findaway really are where essentially anyone who wants to um, set up a profile and start working can. We function more as a closed roster where we're, we evaluate who comes to us. And then once those people are in the system, they have the ability to, through featured voices, self-produce. So why so, would so you yeah. do some vetting of talent that come to you and say, "I want to work yeah. in spoken realms." Yeah, pretty much. There, okay. there, there's a lot of that, um, and, um, and 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 what winds up happening, and why somebody would want to do this, the most popular use case is somebody has run into a project that they cannot do via ACX. If let's say you have a pre-existing um, relationship with an author, and you do you do their work on ACX, and they come to you this time, and they would like to do something, they'd like to do a a dual narration royalty share. Well, ACX doesn't have a way for you to do that. Yeah, I know that it's it's possible, but it's not through ACX. It's that you have to hook up with somebody that you really really trust. And, exactly, and and make sure that all the accounting is um, right is is it, open to both parties. Right, ACX only has the ability to pay out to a fixed number to two people mm -hmm. on any one project, right. and usually that's one narrator and one author. Right, and, um, and if I uh, yeah. if unless they've changed it, which I'm pretty sure they haven't, it's also no, not haven't. not only to a fixed number of people too, yeah. it's, it's also a fixed percentage to each with no Correct. possibility for changing that. Correct. So it's always, it's always a, a split right down the middle. Right. Um, so what you wind up with is you wind up doing a full split in that way. If you were, and, um, the few times people I've seen people who've tried to do a dual narration through ACX, Two narrators are splitting fifty percent, meaning they're each getting twenty five percent, while the author is still getting fifty. Mm -hmm. um, and so, the system that that we've built can dynamically handle any number of authors. And yes, we have had books that we've produced that have two separate authors who are being paid separately, um, you know, or any number of narrators on a project where where everybody is getting paid directly. There's no extra bookkeeping, and it's all clean and works well for taxes. So that's the, so that's yeah. one that's one use case. Um, but mm -hmm. uh, but my recollection of when listen to a book was still in play yes. was that the primary one, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it wasn't the primary one all along. 
but mm-hmm. another one is uh, is public domain. So, yeah. so if you're so, a narrator and you want to do right. a book, but the author is no longer in the picture, the uh, estate is not yeah. in the picture because the copyrights expired or the um, mm-hmm. the uh, yeah copyrights expired, whatever it is, and right. you can go ahead and produce it. Then Spoken Realms is one place that you can go to. But again, you do vetting of the narrator, so it's not like anybody can just walk up and say, "Okay, here I am." Well, exactly. So what 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 will happen is, and and what you're talking about there, is what we decided when we were in the incubator was they wanted us to have a minimum viable product, which is what is the simplest version of what it is you're trying to build, that you could build right now so you could test it, mm. which is why in the beginning it was most of what it was we were doing, because you know if if um, if Mark Twain who's been gone for quite some time, isn't going to show up for his half of the money, you might as well get both halves of the money, you know? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, if if you were going to do, you know, like one of his travel log books, because those are fun and they aren't done nearly as often as, as I feel like they should be, especially with everything that's going on uh, over in Europe right now. A lot of what he said back then would still be very pertinent today. And probably so just as you, funny. Exactly. So if you wanted to do that, then since he's not going to show up for that half, then, you know, you doing it, which really simplified, it it became the very most basic version of the product. Mm -hmm. And that was why we built everything sort of initially around there. So that still is a major use case. In fact, we're, we're, we're doing some of those right now with, um, um, some, Preferred narrators. I don't even know the right way to say that. Um, <laughs> no, I understand. Some, I understand. Some class, there's, 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 because, definitely, there's definitely a right. food chain in the narrator world. And yeah. I, I understand that. It's not denigrating anybody who's not at that no, level. And, and that was the thing. When it was about to say it, I realized, you know, it's not that they're better narrators. It's that they have very well-established careers. And, they uh, and you know, so there are some people in that class of narrator right now who have contacted us and we're talking to about doing all different sorts of projects in the, in the next year. Oh, that's great. Um, and, and yeah, so it, it, it's that passion project piece when it comes to something like that, mm-hmm. or there have been some narrators who um, have used those public domain pieces in order to change the shape of their catalog. Mm-hmm. So when they've then been able to sit down at something like a speed dating event from the APA and the conversation comes up about what you've done. They get to run off names, you know, that, you know, that that they may not have gotten to mention otherwise. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. if you've done primarily romance and you want to make it seem, you want to add some weight to it, then, you know, saying that you've done D.H. Lawrence, Lady Chatterley's Lover, that's, you know, that that kind of deepens that catalog uh, you know, in a way by adding a classic to it still in the same genre. Sure. You know, yeah. I have an example. So right, there's so, definitely some of that. So so that's how <laughs> Listen to a Book got started and that kind right. of morphed into Spoken Realms. Um, right. And mostly what we're going to talk about, be talking about here are the changes that are coming up with uh, Spoken right. Realms. Um, one of the things that you mentioned in our, our emails back and forth before uh, we set this this up was that um, Audible thinks of both ACX and Findaway Voices as aggregators. Yeah. So um, define that term for me. Yeah, it, it was a new term for me. And um, so... Essentially, and and it was very interesting to me that in my discussions with them as we've been renegotiating our contract, 
um, they talk about ACX and find a way in, in very much the same way. They consider them aggregators, and they consider an aggregator's job is to pull together production that other people are doing. And um, as and so their question to me originally was, "We think you're an aggregator." Um, and I said, I don't think I'm an aggregator. So they had me prove it to them. And I, so I had to go through everything that we do on a project. And it wasn't about, about me saying we do this, they do that. It was just very specifically talking about what we do. And it was during that conversation that one of the people on the other side said, oh, you're a packager. Yeah. And, um, now I I know the term packager from 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 working with people in publishing, but the next thing out of their mouth was I never thought of a packager in the world of audiobooks before, which is which is of course why it didn't occur to me. Um, a packager in publishing is typically when when a book is not sourced by a single author, um, like if you're doing a children's book and you have the author and the illustrator. Mm-hmm. Or if you're doing a um, a book of recipes and you have the food photographer, the person writing the recipes, people doing research, people checking the recipes, you know, so you're doing a reference book. So anything, any book that requires multiple people to pull together, those were done by packagers. And some larger packagers are now considered publishers because they've integrated distribution into what they do so they look a lot like a publisher but if that's the primary function of the business to pull together resources from disparate places to create the project that's different from ACX which essentially ACX if you think about it not in if you think about it as something other than the audiobook world looks a lot like a dating website it looks a lot like Match.com. Sure, there put, are, put two people together who have right. There uh, are profiles, yeah. and it's all based upon how you describe yourself. The, you know, the author is describing their project and what's attractive about the project, and the narrator is describing what projects they have done and what's attractive about hiring them. Mm-hmm. And you know, and so it's the same sort of vetting that happens on a dating website. What happens in our case? When it's a Spoken Realm Studios production, that's when somebody comes to us to do something. Um, What will happen is we are then pulling together all those resources. We're behaving sort of more like a wedding planner or an event planner in general. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you're overwhelmed by planning your own wedding and you've described to a wedding planner what it is you want, they come back to you with options that match what you have described. Mm -hmm. Therefore, taking the infinite universe of things and boiling that down to three to five choices for each decision for you. Right. And so that's part of what we do. We have also, we also have set up a system that mimics that inside the featured voice self-production system where people know what other skills people in the system have so they can actually reach out to hire engineers or graphic artists or proofers through the system itself so it's not it, it it is much more about pulling together a team and a few different teams have actually formed inside the the project tracker over the years that have produced multiple books together. And so they're, they're behaving like little production cells that then use the featured voice system to then pump out work. 
Well, that's cool. So, so that's a, um, so you're talking about people who may have not worked together before. Correct. They put together a project and they say, Hey, this went well. And so they continue to work together. Exactly. And sometimes they even start referring to what they're doing under, under their own company name. So that's, um, that's a good example of it's not what you know, it's who you know. Well, yeah. In this case, I, I guess it would be more, it is what you know, and it's also <laughs> who you know. And right. and people work with who they know, like, and trust. And so they, they get together with people and say, hey, this went really well. I mean, I can say that in my own narration career is that I've met people and mm-hmm. I've, I've worked with a couple of people. And I'd say, yeah, I would absolutely work with that person again because I had a good experience. Right. And so, yeah, so it was Audible itself that really pointed out during this renegotiation process exactly what we were. We, I hadn't put the word to it, but once they said it, it just dawned on me that, yes, that is the space in the industry we sit in. That made sense. So, so yeah. renegotiation. So let's get into now what, the, um, what changes are, are coming and what right. it is that you were renegotiating. Right. So the first thing I'm going to say is, unfortunately, I cannot give numbers and I wish I could. Um, One of the terms of my contract state that I can share those numbers with people directly. I can share numbers when when we are in negotiation, but it actually states in it directly that I cannot post them anywhere. Um, well, but this I, is just you and me, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can describe what's going on. No, and, I, I understand. That, and, that's and fine. And, and, I mean, there's some stuff that was common knowledge that, that, that's out there that I can, you know, that I can talk about. Um, so essentially, originally, so go back to what you were talking about when we were primarily doing um, uh, public domain pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the contract that we had have had was technically a better deal than the ACX contract. And so what we did was we decided that just the percentage that was better, not the percentage that made it equal, we would take that off the top, meaning that we were we were going to make it so that, Rich, if you did decide to record, um, I'll just go back to Mark Twain because it's easy because I've said it already. <laughs> but if you did decide to record Mark Twain, it would be as if you had gotten the ACX percentage and we had just taken the difference because our agreement with Audible was better mm-hmm. off the top of that. So it was equal to what the ACX deal was. Right. So it's, um, a, it's the same to me, but that's the way you run a business is that, is that you have the, um, the extra off the top of what Audible is, is right. offering you. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Right. And what I really liked about that, it was that I felt like we were able to add value by 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 getting these older pieces back out there to be produced, sure, yeah, at, you know, because these things always do need to be reproduced. Because people will say, "Why do you need yet another?" and fill in the blank name name of the title. Mm-hmm. If you've ever gone back and tried to listen to one, even recorded only ten years ago, you'll know that not only has the technology of the recording changed, but acting styles have changed. Certain sensibilities about what's appropriate and not appropriate have changed. Yep. So um, there's a you you know just like people will keep producing Shakespeare on stage, mm-hmm. there's no reason not to reproduce a classic so it can speak to a modern sensibility. Yeah, yeah, no, I I completely agree. Um, and you know, look at even even things like um, uh, Eduardo Ballerini won the Audi 
for mm-hmm. uh, Best Male Narrator for Watchers, which was produced right. as an audiobook. I think it was 15, maybe 19 years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. But they wanted to redo it. And, uh, and, and I think that that makes sense. Uh, you know, things change. Sensibilities change, like you said. It, it's just, right. uh, it, it, it makes sense. Right. So, um, so we, that was our contract and it had, it has been in place for a very long time. And, um, another difference, and this is good for, for, for people to know when, uh, when you produce through ACX, each of the projects you produce is part of its own individual contract. This is why, you know, the cattle, you know, uh, you have seven years on each individual book. It's because it's not being governed by one contract that you agreed to when you joined ACX. It's governed by a separate contract for each individual job you do. Um, Because all 2,000 plus titles that we have are under one contract, it gives us the ability to negotiate for certain things because we're representing a much larger catalog, whereas um, an ACX narrator or an ACX author uh, has a harder time because technically all of those individual eggs are not in one basket. They are technically, if you've got a dozen eggs, you have them in 12 separate baskets. And so it's, it, it, it makes negotiation harder in, in that case. Um, but of course, negotiation harder and, you know, versus what should be easier on my end, uh, it still is a size disparity between a large business like Amazon, who owns Audible, and us. So when they come in saying that that we're going to change those rates, um, we don't have the leverage that somebody larger than 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 us might have. But even so, um, you know, they still are they are the 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 elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. And when the elephant in the room says that the percentages are changing, they're changing. So um, one one of the other things that you mentioned was um, one of the changes in the industry that you mentioned in our communication. Yeah was uh, streaming audiobooks. Mm-hmm. And at first when I read that, I thought, well, it's all streaming. And then I realized, no, 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 it's all digital, yes. but, it, but it's download. So, so talk about um, what, what your current, um, w- what you're seeing in terms of streaming right. audio. So some people will be familiar with as close as we've gotten to this, but what was originally called the, um, the romance package, which has oh, yes. since, <laughs> which has since been renamed audible escape. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea being that you pay one price and you can consume and it, it's not directly a Netflix model where you pay one price and you, you have what you want. Uh, it functions slightly differently, but in effect, it feels a lot like a Netflix model. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what's going on is there's a large push towards that model. Um, I think I, I think I'm getting a little interference. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. That's just a okay. lot of narrators in the background that are that are that are uh, swearing right now. I'm so sorry, but <laughs> yeah, it, in, and I know which narrators, the ones who are doing well on royalty share yeah. are the ones who are swearing at the moment. Yep. Um, and, and I really apologize. Let me, let me talk about something in there. And this comes from my analysis. This just, this doesn't just come from anecdotally speaking with a few people. 
This comes from some real analysis. The big problem when the royalty, when, when the, not royalty share, let's not go that far back. The big problem when the romance package happened was in the first m- few months of the existence of the romance package, um, people saw that content that they had recently purchased was in the romance package. So there was um, a flood of returns Yep. because why should I have, you know, I can now use that credit to buy something that's not in the package. Mm-hmm. The thing to remember about Amazon Audible is that they are an, an artificial intelligence company and the website is not really run by people. It's run by algorithms. And so the thing to remember is now that the algorithm has experienced that, it understands how to flag that behavior and keep that from happening in the future. So people who joined the romance package a year later did not see the flood of returns. Now, the next thing that narrators often say to me when I bring that up is, why would I want to be in the romance package anyway if I'm only going to get pennies per, you know, per listen or mm-hmm. pennies per part, part of my book listened. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> the thing to remember is that somebody who was going to li- listen in the package was looking for a certain kind of book. They weren't necessarily looking for your book. They were looking for, you know, for, because it's romance focused, let's stay there. They were looking for a romance that fulfilled these particular things, and that book was there, and it wasn't going to cost them anything extra because they've already paid for the package. The behavior is the very same thing as the Kindle Unlimited people. Mm-hmm. Yes, they'd like to read things that are not in the package, but they want, they've want they already paid for this, so they're going to look for something that scratches that itch, even if they haven't heard of, it, heard of the, the author before, whatever. It doesn't really matter, the author, the narrator this is the 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 subgenre that they are interested in so if you are not in that package this was not a person who was going to seek you out and buy your book in the first place mm-hmm. this is a person who was going to find something vaguely similar to what you wrote and listen to that instead now in talking with them um audible you know listened on on this front And they offered up an idea that I would love to offer to your listeners, which is if you've got a series, you should be considering putting the first few books in the series into the romance package and keeping the last few out. Ah, hook the the listener and then once they're hooked, they will then go and pay for the additional content. Correct. Mm-hmm. You know, and this was an idea that came straight from them and, and it, it makes a lot of sense. And it's what led me to the next thing. I haven't said this part yet here, but it will make sense when I say it. Remember, Audible is really Amazon. So if you think of Audible as slowly turning into Amazon Prime Audio uh, as opposed Amazon to Amazon. Prime. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, it took me a second to get that yeah. reference. But yeah, Amazon Prime, right. It's kind of the Netflix model. Uh, so Amazon Prime Audio, got it. Okay. As opposed to Amazon Prime Video. Right. So the you know good reference is if you were let's say watching the show Veep, in Amazon Prime, they will let you watch as part of the basic package seasons one and two. Mm-hmm. But if you want to finish that series, you have to pay for the later seasons. Yeah, I have I have found a few things like that. <laughs> right. 
And, and so that seems to be where they're moving toward. And if you have doubt about that, um, log into, or I don't know if you can log into, but you can go and take a look at, take a look at the countries that Amazon has been opening Audible up in recently, like India. So go to audible.in and you will see they don't even offer audiobooks for sale only for stream. No kidding. Yep. Wow. That is surprising to hear. They're, they're selling them in the countries that have a history of buying audiobooks. Anytime they're going into a new country, they're moving towards the streaming model because it simplifies a lot of things on their end. Right. And see see how it, I mean, when you're going into a new country, you can see how it plays. Right. Wow. Fascinating. Right. So, you know, and whenever uh, I get into royalty conversations, if there's ever a musician in the group, they point out how lucky we have been because, you know, Spotify and all, you know, Spotify and iTunes, which is now Apple Music. Apple Music, yeah. But, you know, or for us, it's now Apple Books. Audiobooks have been re rejiggered. So they are now in Apple Books now that iTunes doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but what the musicians will point out is that. They are being paid, you know, they have been being paid things that are the equivalent of the Audible Escape package for years now. And, you know, and and an album and a book are really, you know, especially an album that is telling a complete story. Mm -hmm. If you add in all the man hours for the different, you know, for the different instrumentation and mastering and all the other work that went into it, even if the playtime of an album is shorter than a 10 hour book, you can be sure that many, many more studio hours went in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, right. And so that, you know, so there's a direct comparison there. And they are very quick to point out what's gone on there. So a lot of what we need to learn is we need to learn how indie musicians have been have been working this. Right. And what's been going on there. Um, that, you know, that, and that's, an that's a whole other thing. Yeah, that is. That's an interesting comparison. I know that um, for you know, decades and decades and decades now, uh, Mm -hmm. musicians in various different positions with various different companies have, have gotten screwed for forever. Um, so that, that is a very, and I know that, uh, I've also heard that there are musicians who have said, well, I'm choosing not to make my stuff available on Spotify because of the, the amount of revenue. Uh, And what you, what the trade-off is, is that then it's not really available. And it's it's much harder for people to be aware of it, so there's always a trade-off. But that is a, a very interesting comparison. A a, a good um, well, I get yeah. The TED Talk version is really all you need. A, a good TED Talk about this is actually by someone um, is by Amanda Palmer. So a lot of people, when I say the name, who may not know the Dresden Dolls and may not know her as part of the band, know her as Neil Gaiman's wife. Mm. So she has a wonderful TED Talk. Um, where essentially it was her understanding that her relationship with the fans was more important than any work the label was going to to do. And it's a very interesting TED Talk about that. And because we offer different kinds of distribution and people ask me, well, what's the best? I would explain that if you have a real advertising budget or if you have the ability to connect with your fans and to say, please buy from this particular store because I get a better percentage from them, more of it will go to support us, mm-hmm. then it's worth going wide. 
But if what you're going to do is put it up there and then not really invest money, but right. just spend time tweeting out again and again, sending out through social media, buy my book, buy my book, then it's not really worth what you're going to not, you know, it's not going to worth the the cut per sale that you're going to get. Right. So, the, you know, and, and that's only with the current landscape with, with um, Audible still accounting for about 80% of sales. That um, may change. I'm, I'm wondering, so so where did you get the 80% figure? Because I have said for, for a long time now that Audible continues to be the big gorilla in the marketplace. And, yeah. yet, and yet, I don't have any numbers to back that up. It's just sort of an assumption on, on my part. I know that yeah. there are more and more distribution channels. And I know that Findaway is, is continuing to go with these other channels. But I've never, I've never seen in print um, right. what kind of market share Audible has. Right. You can, you can, so any APA member can go in and um, in the APA website, you can look up the industry research information that's there. And um, I'm being vague in general when I'm throwing out a number, but if that is a really important thing that your APA membership gives you access to, even if you have never gone to APAC, uh, you have access to the information given at the keynotes from APAC that, you know, going back years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and if, and if you don't know how to log in and take a look at that and you're an APA member, um, send an email to Janet over at info at audiopub.org and she'll help you figure out how to get there. But this information is there and available to you as an APA member. Oh, that's great. So that, so that way you can take a look at it. The thing to remember about Findaway um, is Findaway's core business, long, long before Findaway Voices ever existed, was about getting digital audio from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. So most of the big publishers at some point utilize Findaway as part of their distribution. So every time one of these new websites pops up, it's Findaway that figures out ways to set up the metadata and move files around. Mm -hmm. and, they, and, and they make money off of doing that so that everybody from Blackstone to Penguin Random House you know, can, can be available on day one in all of these new, new places. That's great. That's, the, yeah. The, the former coder in me is just, as soon as you say that, it's like integration. Uh, yep. so <laughs> having, yep. having, find a way as an integration specialist. Exactly. Yeah, have, having been on the, uh, the coding end of, uh, it was in the hospitality industry, but, uh, the importance <laughs> of integrations of having all these disparate sources of data and saying it has to be I, in this format. Now it's, this one's coming in, in this format, this one's coming in, in that format. We need to mm -hmm. all, we need to get the incoming data and format it to be the same. I can see how, if they're already kind of a specialist in that, it would be, yes. you know, new, new company, new channel opens up, boom, we can, we can bring them in. New, uh, it, when a new channel opens up, the smartest thing for them to do is to reach out to find a way immediately and say, please give us the specifications yep. for how we should build our data. Yeah. So, sorry, I didn't mean to devolve into nerdy integration code, but I know you're, you're a coder too. So <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, part of what's important is, um, of you know uh, the number of people who don't know that Findaway existed years before, and has a whole other core business. Essentially, mm -hmm. Findaway Voices is really a startup company that was started inside a pre-existing company. Yeah, yeah. 
And that really sort of changes the way one can look at what Findaway is and does and how it, you know, and, and what kinds of projects are best to bring to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I, was, I was surprised yeah. to learn when I, uh, when I met, um, uh, Kelly Lytle at, uh, at APAC. And then I, I mm-hmm. talked to him here on, I think it was episode 12, if I remember right. Um, uh, about how well-established Findaway was and mm-hmm. how their core business is still doing really well. So, yeah. um, so anyway, okay. So, so getting back to, uh, spoken realms. So, yep. uh, one of the things that you mentioned was featured voice productions and mm-hmm. spoken realm studios productions. So what's, yeah. the, what's the difference there? So a featured voice production, anyone who has been added to the system can start one. And by um, added to the system, that is somebody who, as you mentioned before, you have vetted and right. you've, you've had some insight into their, what their work is and, and the quality and et cetera, right? Yeah, exactly. So over on the Spoken Realms website, if you go to the page that's labeled join us, at the top of that page, there is a description for what we're looking for in the form that is on the bottom of the page. So then, you know, fill out the form as best you can. Um, contact us through the contact thing to ask any questions if something's not clear to you and then fill out the form. And then, you know, that's how you get added into the system to, you know, to, to do that. Um, and that's featured voice productions. That's the stuff that people are choosing to produce on their own. My original impetus for building everything was narrators don't make any money when the studio is dark. And if you have two weeks between projects for whatever reason, whether, you know, you you weren't hired for something or you needed the time off to do something else, if you can produce your own work in the time that the studio was dark, then, you know, then you're, you're keeping your skills up and you're potentially earning money. Mm -hmm. So that was the whole reason to build it the way we, we built it. Um, but so, but that's featured voices. The, the spoken realm studios are our in-house productions happen when um when an author comes to us and and basically will say something along the lines of i know i could go to acx um but i find the whole thing overwhelming i'm not a i'm not a professional in doing all that myself mm-hmm. um i'd really like i'd like a curated experience and that's when we then sit down ask the questions and then present them with multiple choices for narrators try to find the right engineer, try to find a proofer who has the right sort of background so that, you know, they might be an asset on the project, depending upon what's happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a couple of proofers who've actually gotten good enough that I, I almost hesitate before calling them directors at this point, because I actually do trust some of the content directorial feedback that a few of them have started to, you know, started to give. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of interesting. So, um, so speaking of directors, so you're so so mm-hmm. far you're talking about the individuals who are working on the narration, right? Post production, the proofing, whatever it is. Do you actually have directors where you do directed um, sessions? Yeah. So this is actually something that's happening that's new. Um, so you and I both know, Rich, that the um, that technology is changing really a lot. Mm-hmm. And when I describe this, it's not going to be a surprise to you, but I tell some other people it might be. Because when we think about audio that's shared, like the Skype audio that's being used for this, it's it's incredibly compressed. You know, it's it's very far from what the raw audio would be if I was recording at home and recording locally. But the technology now exists for you to be working at home 
uh, in the Southwest. And for me being the engineer here in the Berkshires in, in the Northeast and connecting in a director from Chicago into the same session where the audio is going to wind up on my system at the end of things and I will have uncompressed full quality audio and you will have had the director in your ears. So are you talking about Source Connect or IPDTL or something similar? I'm actually, yeah, I'm talking about uh, stuff that doesn't come from those companies, but I am talking about similar technology to that. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So it's um, actually, it's more, it's more closely related to a company that failed because failed against Source Connect and Ipdiddle. Um, it, there was a company called Soundstreak. Do you not remember that name? Well, what Soundstreak thought of was if we shared during the session compressed audio so it can be real time, but we optimized the transfer so that at the end of the session, the producer had the full uncompressed audio on their end, even if they weren't getting to hear it at full quality in their headset. Oh. Yeah. And so they wound up failing. But if you can imagine doing an interview like the one you're doing right now, where if you had multiple people in the room, you'd see a different track for each person. And mm -hmm. at the end of it, you had tracks named for each person uncompressed on your end, what that might look and feel like to you. Yeah. That, that's what this stuff is capable of doing right now. And what that opens us up to being able to do is to be able to attempt to do some full cast work with people listening to each other live, but not being able to see each other. Oh, that's fantastic. So yeah, in a full cast recording, um, full cast narration, I right. know that that's virtually impossible to do, um, or has been anyway, without having everybody in the same room at the same right. time. And I, I see what you mean. Uh, having that capability, um, that well, would be very cool. Yeah. And often it comes down to, and I, and I totally understand this argument, what will happen is they'll say, you know, uh, you and I, if we were, if, if we were having a scene where we were having a discussion and it was a very heartfelt discussion, if we're acting and we can see each other, that's going to affect our performance. Mm -hmm. the, the common argument is that aids the performance. But I really thought about this and I thought, well, if I'm seeing Rich, a lot of my acting intention is going to go into my eyes and other body language, which may or may not translate into audio. Mm-hmm. And I thought about the times in my life when I've had to have a dip when I've had to have a, a, a difficult conversation over the phone. And I realized that, at least for me, in those situations, I think I do something different when the other person can only hear me versus when they can see me as well. Mm -hmm. So the gamble that I'm making is that by having the actors not being able to being able to see each other, they may go with more of those non-visual cues, which I think will help the full cast experience in, be, because they cannot see each other. See, the difference is when you're doing animation, um, there, is, there are going to be visuals. So they're going to create body language, whether it's the same body language that the actors used or not, doesn't really matter at that point. I know often what they'll do is they'll run a camera when the actors are working so they can mimic what the original body language was. Mm -hmm. But on an, on a, on, on an audio production, that's going to stay fully audio. I I'm willing to gamble 
that um, doing full cast audio where the actors can hear each other and directly interact live in the moment, but cannot see each other, is going to affect the performance in a way that will be positive in the end. That's very cool. I, I look forward to seeing where this goes. Um, I, yeah. I, I hear everything you're saying and I can, you know, see it in my, in my mind, but I'm not familiar with anything right now. So, um, I don't know how much, uh, information you can share, but, uh, I'm, I'm really interested to see where that goes in, in terms of the technology that's going to be available for this type of thing. Right. Well, yeah. And, and, and some versions of the tech are out there and workable right now. If, if people would like to play with, with a simple version of the of this tech, I know you mentioned uh, Source Connect and IPDTL. Mm -hmm. But if instead, if you go over to Bodalgo, which oh, sure, is yeah, yeah, and and start up what they call Bodalgo Call, which anyone can start for free. That's interesting because I I haven't actually tried that, but I actually have a friend here who does voiceover work in Tucson. Mm -hmm. And uh, he has actually mentioned that he has tried it a couple of times, and he said, "I think it's great." Um, yeah. I, I just I wasn't aware that that's what uh, you were speaking of specifically that that technology. Well, that technology was the one that we first started playing around with, and then, as you pointed out, um, I, I have a coding background, and uh, I, I I figured out some stuff with Armin. Armin built a beautiful system in Bodago Call, and he he gives it away for free for anyone to use. You don't even need to be a paying member of the Bodago site to use it. Hmm. But what's interesting is he included a video component. So you can have low-res video of the person you're working with up on screen yeah. while, while you have multiple people in the session. Hmm. And it was while experimenting with some of that that I came to the, that conclusion that maybe having the video off actually is helpful. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah. that's really interesting. I, I look forward to hearing, uh, hearing how that goes. Um, so one of the other things that we uh, that we went back and forth with with was uh, royalty the the new ACX royalty oh. share plus yep and uh, and you mentioned that spoken realms has PFH plus so right. uh, what's the what's the difference there? <laughs> well, it's very funny is we started calling it PFH plus and didn't know that they were about and we didn't publish that anywhere and then suddenly we heard about royalty share plus. Oh no, <clears> kidding! So you were actually first. Well, I don't even know, see, because we weren't publicly saying it. It was just how we were describing it. Uh. Um, so often I, I have been a, a, a big proponent of what we've come to refer to as the hybrid deal. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, all royalty shares should start from a hybrid place. And the reason comes down to um, the, the, uh, the rights holder is asking the narrator to invest in their in their audiobook startup mm -hmm. and you really have to do your due diligence and getting at least a percentage is an important thing in my mind paid for up front um in order to to make it worthwhile it, it's you know uh if, if i'm going to take if i'm going to take a such a big risk that i'm going to risk never making back a penny on the amount of work that I'm doing, mm -hmm. um, I, I had better be getting a much bigger reward. Sure. So um, I always pushed for some sort of a PFH integrated into the deal. And as you pointed out, 
I can do flexible percentages and mix them with, with PFH payments. Right. So I, I can see why you would have thought of it that way was, was basically per finished hour rate plus royalties. Whereas the way that right. ACX is marketing it is, so you're splitting royalties plus you get a little PFH to cover post-production costs or whatever it is that you want to say that's for. Um, right. I, I like that though, because then you can say, look, I'm paying you a decent rate, but it's maybe not as high as you would get if you were working with a publisher. And so I'll give you 5% or 10% of the royalties in addition. Is, right. that, is that basically what you're describing? And, 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 and you've got it, you've got it in one. Yeah. So really, and, and this often comes up where, um, um, you know, where, where somebody, you know, they, they're, they're going for a, a bigger name than they think they can afford. And, um, and, and, and they're doing exactly that. They're saying, look, this is what I can offer. Um, I, let's do this plus 10% or 5% or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And in, for most of the rest of, of, of union work, you know, if, if you were talking about this in a movie, this would be the equivalent of what they refer to as gross points. The idea being that you're paid your studio hour time, but you're making a percentage based upon the gross of the movie. So gross points were always better to get than net points uh-huh. on a film. Uh-huh. Um, because, you know, w- net would be after they've subtracted all of the all of the, the expenses of the movie. You right. want gross points instead. And with, which crea- is why, with creative accounting, my understanding yes. is the net of a movie is is way less than it actually ever made. Right. I mean, to, to jump to Broadway for a minute... Um, Technically, cats never made money. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason why cats never made money, it was in their contract that they had to restore the Winter Garden Theater to its original state before they moved in. And the Winter Garden was declared a landmark. So it was impossible to restore it to its original state because some of those things could not be reproduced, mm. which is why cats technically never made money. <laughs> yeah. Creative account. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So it's gross points. Really, so um, talking about this in in that way, where where you're you're asking for a per finished hour rate plus ten percent, plus five percent, plus whatever it is, it means that um, it means that you're you're going to make your rent. You know, you're going to be paid on this job. Mm-hmm. You might be being paid a little bit less, but you're being paid a little bit less, and you're taking a risk. That is that makes much more sense. Than risking a hundred percent of your work, from sure. my perspective. Yeah, no, completely agree. And and anybody who has started requiring a hybrid as opposed to just royalty share will understand as well. So let's uh, let's do kind of like the the ten thousand foot view of where is spoken realms going. Wow. Um, so. Yeah, it, it's interesting. So, so the company is is solid, and the company is growing. And you know, we and we get the question of so, what do you want to do next? Um, and so, we're starting to do more in-house production. But beyond that, there's a reality that I think we're starting to see, which is um, more and more high-profile audio didn't necessarily start its life as a book. There's a lot of original content being produced right now. And the question is, where does that come from and what are you looking to do? Now, the since we have deep roots in the public domain, does that mean that 
you know, that that we're, we're, we're going to be mining the public domain for pieces. That's logical, and it's one thing that we've been looking at. The other, some other things that we've been looking at is we've been contacted by a number of podcasters who are looking to transition their content from from that format into audiobooks, or is there a way to build uh, companion material that would make more sense to be marketed as an audiobook? We also have had the opposite component question: Can we produce an audiobook that will be released freely as a podcast? So there's some pushing. Uh, in different directions, it it actually caused some. Uh, one question that I got the other day about this was: Are you trying to be Gimlet or are you trying to be Radiotopia? And for anyone who doesn't doesn't know the podcast world, that question won't make sense. But Gimlet Media, based in New York, and Radiotopia, based in I'll have to say this because Roman Mars always says it: beautiful downtown Oakland, California. <laughs> um. You know, are two sides of the same coin in many ways. They both come from from very similar roots, but they have a very different goal and and aspect as to where they are now and where they're going. Gimlet was acquired by Spotify, and is looking to produce very large commercial content. And um, we sat down with some of our original funders and people who are on our board, and we talked about that. And what became very clear is everybody who's involved in this. In, in on this journey right now does not want to be bought out and told that we're done. Mm-hmm. And that was a very hard thing for us to come around to because we were on this trajectory to basically grow something and, and do that. But at the end of the day, when that was made very clear to me that what this would mean is somebody else acquiring the business and there would be a buyout and then it would be, you know, potentially a non-compete, which is a typical part of a buyout. So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be producing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, no, that's too high of a price to pay. <laughs> so it really has become more about how do we enable and create more of these production cells, which is more the Radiotopia model. Because Radiotopia, each of those podcasts is an individual business, and all those individual businesses are part owners of Radiotopia and they share content. They share, they share, you know, the, the assets of Radiotopia. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it really, it was a really great question because it kind of really did show the, the two different paths. And so where we're trying to go is we're really trying to work towards the empowerment of the creator and, and to just be aware that the purchasing, you know, the, the environment that people are going to be experiencing audio in is changing. You know, we're no doubt, you know, change, yeah, change or die. Uh, I'm exactly, I've said many times on this podcast that I can't wait to see, and and I have no predictions about where this industry is going to be five or ten years from now, especially 10 or 20 years from now. Uh, it's, I, I can't even imagine there are so many variables in play, uh, about right. where things are going to go. So, be interesting to see. Um, before we go, so that, so that was the kind of the big picture view. Um, let's drill down to a couple of real specifics before we wrap it up. Um, to, sure. any, to anybody who might be interested in working with Spoken Realms, maybe this is the first time they've heard of you or they've mm-hmm. heard of you, but they haven't really looked into it. Um, what, what does it take? What, what percentage of people are accepted as a featured voice? What does it take to be accepted as a featured voice? Um, what, what is it that happens that causes right. you to turn down somebody to be a featured voice? 
interestingly, it's it's um, it's RTFM, um, you know, or TLDR. It's failure to RTFM. It definitely is TLDR, meaning uh, too long didn't read. Um, so there's very specific instructions at the top of the join us page. Uh, they explain what goes in all the fields further down. It you know, it and and it explains what's what's needed there. Um, it also, I think, on that page re- recommends that if you don't understand something, reach out. Now, if I and I do, we 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 get these where people put in generic things that saying, um, you know, I I generic in, instead of describing their first project, which is one of the fields, I will get a generic blurb talking about how they have been in voiceover for twenty years, and they turn around projects on a dime or some other very generic thing, even if it's more audiobook focused, but has nothing to do with what their first project is. So is that person an audiobook narrator? My gut instinct is no, because an audiobook narrator has to do research in order to understand and, and, and produce long-form audio, not push out as many things as possible to as many people as possible and hoping they're going to get a bite. Also, not just not just making up the the pronunciation of the name right now and then worrying about it in pickups. Mm-hmm. You do your research. So if a person fails to do the research to fill the form out, they don't get called back regardless of the quality. Uh, another thing is people listing people as references who, when I contact those people and I do contact the references, don't give them a glowing reference. Good to know. Make sure you know who you're you're referring well, to. Well, <laughs> I, I think sometimes people don't understand what a reference means. Like, you know, they may be listing the person who mentioned Spoken Realms on a Facebook thread. Mm, yeah. As opposed to somebody who actually knows their work as a narrator, which is what a reference would be. Somebody who can say that you're a good hire, you know. And so I then reach out to whoever that is. And that person says, I don't know their work at all. Yeah. So it's not that somebody is saying, oh, my God, don't hire them. That I'm not hearing. Uh, it's it's really much more of the other thing. Right. Um, I, I have had people mention people who they um, who they study with in, in the, you know, in those blurbs where 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 they didn't really fill out the information properly. And then I will reach out to the teacher, mm-hmm. even if I won't reach out to them directly and say, hey, you may want to make sure that your students in the future don't do things like this, and here's why. You know, and, and that's been a number of different coaches who have sent that off to so that they know to explain to their people, it, you really need to read the form, because if you don't read the form, how do we know you're going to read the book? Yeah. I've, I've heard this many times in, in other areas of voiceover as well. Uh, I know that yeah. Mark Scott has has mentioned several times that every once in a while, he, it's not like he's a casting agent, but uh, he gets requests for people to, um, some somebody who he could recommend for a specific job that he might not be right for. And he'll put a casting call out there and people will respond and the file name will be not according to the specs that he gives out right. and the read is not anything like what's requested. And... Um, and he has said many times on his podcast and on his, uh, VOpreneur website, um, you know, it's, it's just like, it's an immediate fail. It's just like, mm-hmm. I, I see this and I just, I, it's a full stop. I won't even listen to it if, if right. this is wrong or that's wrong. Um, and so sometimes it's just the basics. 
and, and one thing that you asked was what percentage of people, and this is the shocking thing. We sat down and, and did the numbers at one point because you analyst you. <laughs> well, I got asked the question enough that I wanted to have real numbers. Sure, and I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry to say it's 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 below forty percent. Yeah. And not all of that is people filling out the form poorly. Some percentage of that are people submitting audio that sounds like it's recorded in a bathroom, mm -hmm. or or somebody submit or people submitting things, giving links to websites that are down. Mm. Um, or, you know, or, or the thing with, with the references, you know, or, uh, what they call a professional website sure seems like a professional website, but not for the profession of, of audiobook narration. Sure. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's under 40% of the people who send things in, um, and, you know, that wind up being added to the system and that number has varied over time. There are times where, where it's higher, and I think most of the times where it's higher are after things like like this podcast, because this will be more people in the audiobook industry who are focusing on it and trying to learn more, mm -hmm. as opposed to somebody who may be doing other voiceover who thought, you know, I'll just here's you know, an maybe avenue. I'll do an yeah. right here's something I haven't done audiobooks before, maybe that'll be great, and they just take the very same thing that says, you know. Joe, you know, Joe Smith has been a, 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 you know, has been working in voiceover for 20 years and turns around this right way and uses a Neumann this and a this, and, you know, and I'm like, yeah, that's all great, but it has nothing to do with what your first project would be. And that's usually the field that people fall down on. Well, that's good to know. And, yeah. and, and I have to say that as somebody who, um, appreciates when you find out that there is actually a barrier to entry to something, um, that, um, that you actually do care. I mean, it's, it's very easy for, uh, maybe a pay to play site, say we vet our voice talent. Right. And, and then you listen to samples and you go, this is crap. This sounds terrible. The, no. the technical specs, do they have any, yeah. I mean, was this done on, on like a $10 laptop microphone? This is terrible. And so right. to actually, to actually hear that, oh no, we listen to things and we read things and uh, we actually do care about who it is that we're working with. Right. And so, I mean, two, so two other quick things though, because I realized that I didn't say this part before the in-house productions. The first thing we do when we try to cast those is we look at what people are currently producing through featured voices to see if there are people right now doing similar work who seem like they would be a good match. Mm -hmm. So that's the very first thing we do. And it's only if we can't cast through featured voices that we then reach out to people who currently are not on the system. Mm. So, I mean, so that's the other reason it's, you know, we, we're, we're holding that very, very close to the chest and, and, you know, people who've invested in, in working through the system are then the first people that we're bringing casting opportunities to. Um, sure, yeah, the other, sense. yeah, the other thing is I felt really bad about the, about th that percentage until talking to casting people at the publishers realizing that th they treat their submission forms in very much the same way that your ability realizing they work in publishing and so your ability to understand communicate and work with the spoken word is incredibly important to businesses that have spent hundreds of years some of them yeah doing exactly that 
And, um, you know, so I, I, I happened to mention this with, with a couple of publishers and they said, no, we all do that. You know, it's the quality of the information that's there. Is it accurate? Mm -hmm. You know, so it's, it's not about, it's not about profiling or whatever. It's more about, have you met a minimum requirement? Did you communicate clearly? Are there errors that I can't attribute to an accident? You know, somebody wrote .co instead of .com. I'll add the M and, and see if the email goes through. That, that's, that's a typing glitch. Right. But if I've double-checked and I can't, I can't get back in touch with you, you know, then I don't know what happened. The email just seems to be down now. Yeah. Um, you know, so there, there are things like that where you, you're, you're just trying to make sure that if, if the form says, you know, uh, please give me a link to a downloadable sample of your audio that, you know, in that field, you're not giving a link to something that can't be downloaded. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's just, it's, it's straightforward. It's what each of those fields asks for. And, you know, without saying specifically who just assume that if you're submitting a form to any of the major publishers, they are treating their submission forms in very much the same way. Yeah, no, that's that's good to know, and and yeah. not all that surprising. Um, I'm I'm kind of glad to hear that. Yeah, they're paying attention, as are you. We're trying to, and <laughs> and yeah, it's so where we're going, where I'm trying to figure the world out the same way you are. And one thing that I definitely took away from bringing this business through an incubator and an accelerator is the the importance of being willing to pivot. And by that, I mean taking a look at how the business is currently configured, realizing that the current configuration isn't the best match for where we think the environment is going, and then sitting down with the team, talking with them, and trying out reconfigurations of the business until we find the, the adjustments that are going to align us to be able to do what we want. And what is it we want to do? You know, we want to produce good audio. Mm -hmm. I think if, if anything, you know, the, the, the core of where I, where I'm trying to go is I, I have a very bardic aesthetic, you know, telling stories is the most important thing to me. It always has been, it's always going to be. And so building a system that allows people to tell stories and to keep a story alive, which is why I've got a preference towards, towards older pieces that are in the public domain. Mm hmm because those stories may not be told, because something may fall out of fashion, because there may be a problem with the usage of some wording in this story, and somebody hasn't been daring enough to try to figure out how to reinterpret it, which you can do with public domain work, because it's in the public domain. So right. the author is not going to come back and, and, and argue that. But if, if you think there's value in, in, in that piece, then we need to keep the story alive. Mm -hmm. It's what makes people unique we tell each other stories yeah that's really what i want at the end of the day and so when we come in and we talk about where's the business going for me that's what it's always about it, does this make it easier for you know to share stories mouth to ear well that definitely sounds like you're in the right industry then yeah all right well steven this has been great thanks for the uh the deep dive into uh into spoken realms where you guys have been and and where you're at now I look forward to seeing how it all shakes out. Yeah, thank you for having me back. Sure, yeah, my pleasure. Uh, and if things change, we can we can do it again. 
Uh, and and I'm sure that things will change. It just depends on how long it'll take for them to change. It seems yeah. like it seems like things are changing at a at a faster and faster pace. So, like I said, I, I look forward to seeing where this industry is in five or ten years. I suspect it will be very different than it is now, and uh, I'm just long for the ride. So, so thanks thanks for coming in again. I hope the uh, the vanilla porter was good. It is. It really is. Good. The uh, yeah. old, old fashioned was good as well. I can't remember the last time I had one of those, but it's a classic. <laughs> nice. Thank you, Rich. All right. Thanks, Stephen. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Stephen J. Cohen for coming back in for another drink. I enjoyed hearing about how Spoken Realms is evolving, and I hope you did too. Don't forget to check out the sponsor for tonight's episode, Squeaky Cheese Productions. They're on the cutting wedge. They're on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com, and I'm very grateful for their support of the audiobook speakeasy. As always, you can find the audiobook speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please take a few minutes to leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated as it helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Cheers!